We're beginning a new um, section in John. We're going to continue in John, and we're going to um, begin in the seventh chapter. So if you would please turn with me to John 7, uh, beginning at verse 1. We've seen a lot of things in chapter 6. We've seen the Lord do uh Amazing miracles. We were reminded of the 5,000 that was fed, uh, which was more than that. When you think about it, uh, the women and children that were at it, uh, we're talking about a larger number when it comes down to the feeding. We're also reminded of the miracles that he did with healings. Uh, we saw that as well. And so in beginning um, this in beginning of chapter seven, it begins with the words after this, right? So in other words, after the things that have already happened, and so that's what John is trying to, to get to. And he's bringing, ushering us into John chapter seven. And so let us now look to the word of God that we might hear from God. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of boots was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went not publicly, a private, not publicly, but in private or secretly. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet, for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for your word. And we pray that as we consider your word, we pray that your spirit would illuminate your word. That we might see the treasures that are found within. 
And we pray that you would place those treasures deep in our hearts, never to forget them, but to always remember them. That we might apply and treasure your word as we ought to. Because your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. And may your word guide us and sustain us and help us that we might indeed be your people dependent upon your word. Help us now. Help us to decrease. May you increase and receive all of the glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The sermon this afternoon is entitled, Walking in Wisdom While Trusting in God's Timing. Walking in Wisdom While Trusting in God's Timing. timing. I have four points. Point number one, confront your fears. Point number two, learn to stand alone. Point number three, Trusting in God's timing. And point number four, navigate the opposition. And I'm going to repeat these again so you don't have to worry about having them written down. I'm going to go step by step and we're going to work through these verses. So let's begin. Confront your fears. And all of these lessons are given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. We're able to look in, if you would, and we're able to peep through the corridors of time. And we're able to see how God worked amongst his people, how he worked in the midst of conflict and difficulty. And we're able to look in to see how he dealt with that. So confront your fears. Verse number one says, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. Notice what it says. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. According to verse 1, at this point, the Lord is wrapping up his ministry in Galilee. He had been traveling back and forth to Judea and back to Galilee, doing the work of God. And if I'm not mistaken, um, trying to remember how long it takes. Uh, it, I think it depends on how fast you walk. Um, but I think it might be one or two days. I mean, up to two to three days, I think, it is, for this particular journey. But the world was going back and forth. And at this point, we know that um, he had healed an invalid of 38 years uh, as I said before, he fed uh, approximately, if you're adding the women and children, 15 to 20,000 people, right? Fish and loaves, thousands of people. So, so you're beginning to see his fame is continuing to grow, right? He worked miracles of various kinds, healed many people. All this was during a span of about six months. We're seeing here, we're seeing what has happened, what has taken place between the Passover, right? And now we're coming up on the Feast of Tabernacles. 
also known as the Feast of Boots. But at this point, we know that the Lord is back in Galilee. Now, something else needs to be mentioned here. We also must remember that the work of the ministry he did in Galilee with thousands of people following him, calling themselves disciples. We remember something happened last week. Something happened last time in chapter 6. It says, and and what we want to remember is what, what really happened as it relates to discipleship. As this is the lesson for us as we continue to join God in doing the work of the ministry, the work of the Lord. What happened after the Lord did many miracles amongst the people? Let's look back. Look with me for just a moment. A couple verses back. Look at John chapter 6, beginning at verse 66. We're going to see what happened there. What does it say? The verse says, after this, many of his disciples, so-called, turned back and no longer walked with him. So what does that tell us? It tells us that we must make sure that we don't expect more than what we see within the scriptures. Jesus is teaching us that people will leave. People will come and people will leave. He's telling us the people will call themselves Christians. They call themselves disciples and they will leave. They will no longer walk with the Lord. So we don't have to be surprised. Right? So our work ought to be as unto the Lord. Right? It should never be because of so-and-so is the church or so-and-so will be there. We must make sure that the object of our worship is God. We must make sure that the object of our faith is God. It's always God. In whatever we do, God has to be the object. And that's why he says in his word that he must be first. Right? We must worship the Lord our God. Right? Keep him first. And that's a practice that we're continuing even today. And so, um, be encouraged. All of the things we enjoy in the natural sense because of the work of the ministry is only a cherry on top. Right? But doing the work of God is the meat and potatoes. Always be eating the meat and potatoes. We do that by remembering that God is the true substance of our labors. He's the true reason for why we do what we do. When it comes down to the reading daily of God's word, when it comes to kneeling down in prayer, we must remember that God is our object. And he's the reason why we do what we do. And we must never put man, put creation in the place of the creator. It must never be man. It must never be the created order put in place of the creator. We must worship the Lord our God in all things and in all ways.
And that's a continual practice. That's our discipline, right? We want to be strong in faith. It's the ongoing practice of making God the object. And so now we also understand why most of the Lord's time spent in Galilee rather than in Judea. He was on mission and he knew that the Jews were trying to kill him. The verse gives us the reason why they wanted to kill him. They didn't care how. They just wanted him dead. He was a threat to what they had going on. They were the authority. People looked to them to know what God says. And here it is, one who come who have said that I am the son of God. I am the bread of life. You must eat of me. You must know me. You must believe and be saved. That's a threat to what the Jews believe. And so they wanted him to die by any means necessary. And we see this according to the scriptures. Listen to what the word says about the Jewish leaders in those days. And you can follow along with me if you want. I'm going to be moving pretty quickly here. But I'm going to begin in John chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. And it states there, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He was healing. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And Jesus knew that the Jews wanted to kill him. He stated in a few verses away in John chapter 7 in verse 19, has Moses giving you the law yet none of you keeps the law why do you seek to kill me right he he's acknowledging their plans he he already knows he's the all-knowing God and in John chapter 8 they called him a demon listen to what it says in John 8 48 the Jews answered him are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon. And also in um, John chapter 10, verse 31, it says the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And we know that when they stone, someone someone is going to die. And so again, we know it's clear that the Jews wanted to kill him. And lastly, John 11, beginning at verse 53, the text says, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. So according to these verses, the Lord is teaching us something. What is the Lord teaching us? The Lord is teaching us to not unnecessarily expose ourselves to 
danger. Jesus' actions teach us not to put ourselves in danger unnecessarily taking risks given an opportunity to our enemies. We don't have to put ourselves, our lives, and our families to prove anything. Being Christians is risky enough. The Lord reminds us to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Christ gave us his example on how we should learn to suffer. Suffering will come. But we don't go looking for it. We don't go creating it. And then saying in the name of God, we are suffering. We must follow him in this as he taught us by his own example. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. The scripture is teaching us how we ought to suffer. Beginning at verse 21, the text in 1 Peter 2, 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself, himself to him who judges justly. Speaking of the Father, he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Do you see the example that is before us today? We must follow Christ. Now, let's be clear. The Lord wasn't being a coward because of this decision, nor was he being fearful. Instead, he taught us how to be wise and discerning. If we're not discerning and wise as Christians, we will unnecessarily put ourselves and the ones we love at risk that could potentially lead to death. This is the true state of biblical manhood and womanhood. We're to live for Christ and we're to follow him. You've given us a great example. The next thing we must do, point number two, is learn to stand alone. We're going to be faced with disbelief. We're going to be faced with the world. In the next couple of verses, it says, Now the Jews, feast of boots, was at hand. It was was coming up. It was coming up. It wasn't there yet, but it it was coming up. But it's going to come quickly. We're going to see it in the text. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea. They might have been saying, come with us. Eventually we're going to see them leave. Go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly 
Sounds like they have heard about the ministry of our Lord. Uh, Here's his own family is, is still not giving him the respect or the honor that he deserves. Sounds like they might be saying, if you are the son of God, then why won't you show yourself? I mean, in a, in a real open way before, you know, everybody. Kind of like at the Feast of Boots. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. If you are who you say you are. What does the next verse say? For not even his brothers believe in him. So, it appears that Jesus' brothers, his own family, which were probably the sons of Mary and Joseph, uh, ha- uh, has a certain opinion about the way Jesus was doing things. So they thought they'd give him some advice. Now, they never seemed to have respected his divine authority as the Son of God. I'm sure they heard about him. His fame was growing. They knew about him. They knew about the work he did, but they did not believe. The same ones who slept in the same rooms or houses as the Lord growing up. They, they knew him. So I'm sure they knew the work that he did. They did not believe, so the conversation probably went something like this amongst the family. You mean to tell me that Jesus, our brother, is the son of God, the one we learned about who will come as the son of God, as the Messiah? You're trying to tell me that our brother, little Lil J, well, Big J, because he was the big brother. He's going to tell me that Big J is the son of God. Knock it off. Right? You, you, can, you can hear that amongst the family. Get out of here with that nonsense. And that's, that's what it is to them and to everyone who do not believe. They believe that it's nonsense. It's nonsense to everyone whose eyes and ears had not been opened by the work of regeneration through the Spirit of God. That's why the Lord himself says one must be born again. In other words, we can't look at the things of God and the works of God through natural lenses. We must look at the way of God the word of God through the lens of God. In other words, without that, it's going to be nonsense. Why? Because without God, man is spiritually dead. They cannot see nor anything that God does because as the scripture says, they're spiritually discerned. The natural man cannot Believe, cannot understand 
the way of God. He does not have the ability to do so. And so, mankind needs God. And in order for mankind to receive God, he must be born again. That person that, that is dead spiritually cannot awaken themselves. They cannot see. They cannot know. God has to put life into man. And that's what Jesus has been saying all the while. You must believe that you might have life. I am the one that have come to give life. See? So without him, everyone is spiritually dead. So that there's no way to God. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father except through me. So there's either other ways to God and Jesus is a liar or it's exactly what he says that he alone is the only way and that we must come to know God through him. These are the kinds of conversations we will have when we talk with other people about the Lord Jesus Christ and coming to know God. We only have to say what the Lord says. I've been watching these lion movies lately on, uh, what is it, Nat- Natural Geographic, something like that. Uh, but, but I've been watching these shows about how the lion shows his dominance in the kingdom. I mean, he prowls, he walks around. Elephants get out the way. Hyenas run. Dogs run. Everybody is running because the king is here. And when he treads and when he comes, he roars and let everyone knows. The Lord Jesus is the one who is sovereign over all things. And we must come to faith through him. So we have here, without the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone is spiritually dead. And when a believer comes to faith, they will have to learn to stand alone. They will have to obey God even when it is not popular. But notice what Jesus' brothers suggested that he ought to do. According to verse 3, they suggested that he should go to Judea. Now we know the Jews wanted to kill him, and they were going to be looking out for an opportunity to do just that. But in their unredeemed minds, they could not comprehend the things of God, so they suggested that if he is who he said he is, he should make it known to the fullest. In other words, they believed Jesus should himself to the world that he may be known to all people everywhere in their unredeemed minds they believe this was the better option they're saying come with us and let's see what happened if you're the son of God we know that there are some Jewish leaders there who can verify your claim 
This is how spiritually dead men sound when they don't have God. They speak as the world speaks in every natural way they can because they are dead. They want to be the center of it all. They want the fame and the glory. They want to be seen, but this is the depraved mindset. It only seeks pleasure that serves the flesh. But what did the Lord Jesus often say? He says, I must be about my father's business. He always extended glory to God. The scripture says he did not seek out equality with God, even though he had it. But rather, he wanted to glorify the father. And they're trying to get him to glorify himself. And so we see this in Jesus' brothers. It may seem harmless and logical in the natural sense, but as we look through the lens of scriptures, we see how foolish their opinions and suggestions are. They are useless and empty because God don't receive the glory in what they're offering. Because of their worldly ideas and depraved minds, they could not offer any ideas with spiritual insight. This shows us how necessary it is for us to totally trust and depend upon God for everything in every way of life. That means we have to learn how to stand alone. We don't have to follow the crowd. We don't have to take in the world's advice. But we must stay on the path that only leads to God, the path that only leads to life and righteousness and justice and peace. God said, I am free. And so we must point ourselves to Christ. We must learn how to stand alone depending upon God. And so that's our job. We have to do what's right. We want to do what's best. We have to take the high road, which for us is the moral road, the good road. Jesus, in other words, is calling us up. We were dead in trespasses and in sin. We've been born again. God is wanting us to continue, to persevere, to endure, to come up. As he's taught us. We're seeing it before our eyes. He's letting the world know that I am the Son of Man, the one who have come to bring life, and he's on his way to Golgotha's hill. He's on his way to death, and he knows it, but he's willing to do it for the sake of the Father, to bring him glory. And he says, I'll go, whatever it might cost me. I will go. And so what, it, what does it mean to us to join him? 
to bring that good gospel to a dying world. What a great privilege we have in bringing the good news to the world, being unashamed. The very thing we did yesterday at Planned Parenthood. You should have seen it. Christians were all around fighting and calling for life. Saving life. Trying to pull people out of the fire. Bringing salvation to a dying world. Trying to offer them the bread even though they're trying to slap it down the minute we offer it to them. But it was a great privilege. Brothers, and sh- you should have seen it. Brothers and sisters smiling. They were encouraging one another. The word was being preached. The word was being read. The word of God was being sung. People were having it, a moment of joy because we knew that if we were there, there's a possibility of hope. We were inviting them, sinners, Join other sinners who know who and where the bread is, who is Christ. And so we must take our rightful positions. We're not, we're not to continue in the ways that the world have done. We must put off that old man and put on the new and live for God and take that high road, which is the road we've been called to. We mustn't cheat on this opportunity to live for God. We must live for him in all things. Young people, God is calling you up. He's calling you out of the world. Come from amongst them. Don't be named with the world. Be named with the children of God. You might lose friends, but you gain a family, family of God that is eternal and would not separate you from death. Death has a way of separating us from the ones we love, but this family, the one that God provides, is eternal. And you will never lose one another because the one who is doing the keeping, no one can take anything from him. We are secure in God. And we ought to live in that. God is calling us up. And so... Do what we're supposed to do as children of God. We shouldn't take advantage of people in our business dealings. God is calling us up. Do what's fair. Do what's right. God is calling us up. And sometimes when we obey, we can find ourselves in lonely places. But here's the deal. Reality is, is that we're never alone. The Lord promises us. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we're not to believe what the flesh is telling us. We must come up. We must believe what God has promised. And we must remain there. We must live in the way God is calling us to live. We're never alone. God is always with us. And when we obey, God smiles. He smiles just like parents who sees their child receiving uh, 
accolades, receiving, receiving commendations for something that they have done. And the parent is seeing all of the work that they've put in. Mothers are seeing all of the pouring into of their children. And now there's evidence that is good and mama smiles, daddy smiles. We begin to thank God because we know ultimately it is him. And so let's, let's fill the heart of God with joy. Wake up in the morning looking for opportunities to fill God's heart with joy, to be able to bring a smile on God's face because we're willing to give ourselves for him in all things. Being his true disciples, the scripture says, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. Remember, you're never alone. You're not alone. It may feel like that when we can't trust our family members and friends to be there. It's just a matter of time they're going to let us down. It's going to happen. Man will let you down. And so we're to never to put our hope in man anyway. It ought to always be in God. Always. Now, we're not saying we're going to put away our families and not love them. We're going to love them. What we're trying to say is that at some point they're going to let us down. And we know that because we're all flawed. Right? We, we all have a natural ability to somehow slip and fall and fail. But the scripture says, if that happens, those of us who are spiritual, what we're to do, we're to extend the hand to brothers and sisters who have fallen, and we're to lift them up. Every time we see one another in this building, we're doing that. We're building up one another. We're encouraging them, keep going. Run your race. Pick up your knees, take off your clothing, and run through the tape with all you got as the Spirit enables you. Run well, children, for the grace of God. May the grace of God be with you. Run with that grace. The eyes of the Lord are upon us. God is in heaven, cheering us on. Run, son! Run, my daughter! Run hard for the glory of God. I'll enable you to do it. I'll give you the power to do it. Don't trust in yourself. Run hard. The eyes of the Lord is upon you, cheering you on. Let's not say him with the unrighteous deeds of men by participating with the world in the deeds of darkness. Let us put off those things. Sometimes God will call us to go at it alone while trusting him for the direction. Sometimes we can't see our way. We don't know our way. But we know the one who does. We want to obey and go in the way that the Lord is leading us. But be careful. 
Be careful. Don't allow the flesh to lead you and cause you to say it was God. But to be careful. No, no, no. We must be totally dependent upon him in all things. And for any reason, if we're not sure, we must wait. Right? We're not to be the one. Ah, ah, pink. Right? In war. But we must be like a rifleman that is waiting for the right shot at the right moment. Sometimes when we're waiting, we might have to pick up our things and run to another position because God is moving us. And we extend again, waiting for the right shot. We must be like a marksman, waiting for the right shot. To do that, which will be pleasing to the Lord our God. And so, to help us, I have a couple of verses that I want to read. Listen to these verses. In Proverbs 9, verse 10, the text says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Right? We talk about being wise. We talked about being discerning. That means that before we can step out and do things, we must understand and know what we're doing. We don't want to waste any strength that we might have. We want to use it in, in a way that is specifically for the honor and glory of God. But we must begin with God. Then in Proverbs 7, it states, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right? So we're seeing where success begins, right? I'm talking about true, lasting success. Not something that's here today and gone tomorrow. But we're talking about putting, storing up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't get in and destroy, where thieves can't break in and destroy. We're talking about that which is eternal, eternal treasures. And then lastly, Psalm 111, verse 10, the text says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice. See? This is ongoing. It says, All those who practice it have a good understanding. And then it says, His praise endures forever. That's where God is trying to get us to because if we can get to that place where we're saying his praise endures forever, we have already been beneficiaries of the goodness of God and we can't help but say that God is good. All taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the privilege. These are just a few reminders for us to wait upon God. That leads me to my next point, trusting God's timing. Listen again to the Lord's response to his brothers. The text says, Jesus said to him, my time has not yet come. Making the distinction, but your time is always here. The world 
cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I testify about it, and its works are evil. You go up to the feast. You go ahead. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. So we see here that he's not talking about ability. The distinction is time. Right? Time. So Jesus, as we know, will show himself in full, but at this point, it's not time for him to do so. He is obeying the Father's instructions. He is intentionally waiting so that God might get the glory. He doesn't care about getting anything from the world. He cares about obeying God the Father. He works according to his timing. Because God's timing is perfect. Jesus trusts what the Father says. The world never waited for God since the beginning. You imagine if Adam and Eve had waited for God? If they had said, you know what, I want to think about what you've said. I want to talk to the Father. I want to talk to the Lord, my God. But instead... And never waited. The, the true Adam taught us how to wait. We're like the first Adam in our in our flesh. We don't want to wait upon God. And so the Lord works according to the Father's time. Man still struggles with that to this day, waiting upon God. In many cases, we want to help him. I got to do something. I can't just sit here and wait. No, you shouldn't sit there and wait. Rather, we should work and wait. Everything that we can do, we ought to do that. But that which we can do, can't do, we want to wait upon the Lord. So, Man's choices and actions could leave a lasting impression of a lifetime that will affect every generation afterwards. And that includes us. So it's another warning for us to be patient. There are repercussions to our actions and sometimes we can't do anything about them but pray for the grace of God to be applied. Therefore, we must wait for God's timing. We wait because we trust. We trust him. He has proven to us over and over again that he will not and cannot fail us. We have no logical reason to not trust God because we have nothing against him that point to the slightest indication that he will ever fail or fall. All we know is that God, in his perfect timing, always come through. He's always on time, and he's never late under any circumstances. That's why it says in Psalm 25, King David knew about this. 
Listen to what the king says. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. You see how he almost plants his footing, right? He bends his knees, if you were, so that he might set his position. And he begins with my salvation. I'm secure. And then he, he makes God his object. For you, I wait. It's just like the man who's courting the woman. And he wants to be with her. He wants to marry her. He says, I'll give it all up for you. You are the one. That's the kind of relationship we ought to have with our God. I'll give it all up for you. You say the word and it's done. That's the ongoing practice. What did David say? I'll wait all day long. I'll wait. So it doesn't matter what level we think we've achieved in this life. We must always remember the sovereign one who is king of kings. David the king. Remember the king of kings and lord of lords in all things in this life and in the life to come. Then listen else again to what David says. David in Psalm 62 verse 5, he says, For God alone, O my soul, wait. In silence, for my hope is from him. So sometimes you have to talk to yourself, right? Because the flesh wants to do step, do things that are not in step with God. We need to talk. No, I'm not doing that. No, no, no. I'm going to do what's right. I want to do that which honors God. I want to do that which will bring glory to his name. And then in Psalm 37, verse 7, David again says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. David says, don't worry about them. Don't look over the fence trying to be like somebody else. We are image bearers and God has a plan that is specific, that is right just for us specifically and directly for us. And no one will get it but us. Because he intended it in his plans. And this leads me to my final point. Navigate the opposition. The Lord again teaches us to make sure that we are not unnecessarily exposing ourselves to trouble. In verse 9 through 13, it says, after saying this, he remained in Galilee. Why did he remain in Galilee? We know he remained in Galilee because in Judea, where the Feast of Boots would be, they were trying to kill him. And that was his mission. His mission was not for them to take his life. His mission was for him to offer up his life. He says, no one take it away. I offer it up freely. 
I am on mission. This is what I've come to do. But he says it's not time yet. We're seeing he's going up that road. He's plowing. And he's doing everything that he can do within the way of God, the way that the Father wants him to go. But it says, after his brothers had gone up to the feast, so now the feast is here, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people Astray, Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly. At first, the timing wasn't right. He never said he wouldn't go. It just wasn't going then. And with, with them, he wouldn't go. And he was not open to what they were suggesting. That day would come, but not then according to the scripture, so the Lord went in stealth mode. In verses 9 through 13, Jesus' brothers goes to the festival, uh, uh, the festival of tabernacles, and Jesus also goes, but he does so secretly, not wanting to attract attention. But they were looking for him. Can you just see them in the crowd? See, do you see them? No, I don't see them. Oh, uh, no, they look like him. It looks Jesus is amongst the people listening to what the people are saying. His fame is continuing to grow, whether they agree with him, whether they're not. His fame was continuing to grow, but it wasn't time yet. So among the crowds, there is much discussion about Jesus. Much discussion amongst the people. We want to make that distinction there. There are the people who are there, and then there are the Jewish leaders who are there who wants to kill him. So in this passage, we can see the tension and the conflict concerning Jesus. He is a figure of controversy. And so with people having different opinions about who he is and what he's doing, he's already peeling back the layers. And he's let them know who he was and what he had come to do. And that's going to be more open in a real way as we travel through the Gospel of John. He's going to, to reveal that more and more. The people were afraid of the leaders because they didn't want to get put out of the temple. Remember uh, uh, the invalids, parents, uh, th th those parents didn't want to, to get put out of the temple. And so the people were afraid of that. They wanted to be able to have their temple worship. And so this shows that the people's fear of the leaders highlights the kind of danger Jesus was in since the leaders were hostile towards the Lord looking for a way to arrest him. And so what does this passage reveal? 
it reveals to us Jesus' careful navigation of his ministry. His decision to attend the festival secretly illustrates his wisdom and understanding of the societal and political situation. He understands that his time has not yet come and he continues to operate strategically within the constraints that God has provided. In other words, he was working out within the will and plan of God. So how will you navigate the opposition that comes through social media that comes through the office, job-related issues, home life, friendships, when you have to discuss politics. All of our struggles, we're going to have to navigate in such a way where we're able to honor God. So how can we navigate these things? These are things we ought to think about before they happen, but to have a plan. And the Lord taught us that we ought to be wise. We must be discerning. Our fight is spiritual, and it ought to be fought with weapons that are meant for spiritual warfare. That means we fight when we pray, trusting God and putting our hope in him. We fight by strengthening our brothers and sisters. We fight by living in accordance to the word of God. May the spirit of God help us every day work the work of the ministry by recognizing God in all things. And in all ways, we're not to be fearful. Instead, we are to navigate around the opposition. We must plan with purpose to obey and glorify God. But we can do none of this apart from Christ. And if we do not, if, if there's someone here that do not know him, you're in a hopeless situation and you're still carrying your sins without a mediator between you and God. Jesus is the one that is able to bring hope between you and God. Believe in the one who has life in himself. Believe in the Lord today and be saved. He says, if you believe in him, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. I'm not asking you to do anything but believe. Believe. And so I'm available if anyone wants to talk to me more about salvation or coming to faith. We can flesh that out. We can flesh that out. So please take advantage of that. Please come to me and I'll try to help you as much as I can.